We all have different family members. Around our house this week, a topic of dinner conversation and prayer time has been Uncle Glenn. We affectionately call a Glenn Miller Uncle Glenn around our house. And, um, and much like your physical family has people that you see every night for dinner and all the time, and then there are extended family members that you only see periodically, but they play an important part in your story, and they speak into your life, and you only hear from them ever so often. Um, that's the kind of person that we're going to get to hear from uh, this morning, and it's appropriate. Um, Glenn and I, in 2005, were two people that were sent over from Valley Church in Cupertino near Danza College. Um, to come and meet with the leadership team that was here, and really that was the the spark that God used to kind of steer things toward um, NBC launching about a year later as kind of a, a, a church relaunch. So, um, so Glenn is a part of the story of what's gone on here for the last eight years in kind of a long-distance, vicarious way, and I'm thrilled to bring him up. So why don't you welcome Glenn? Hey, thanks uh, so much. I'm I'm surprised Dave is still alive. You know, he's a cowboy fan, and <laughs> I'm sorry, Dave, about that. You know, that's just how it goes sometimes. But I'm a 49er fan. Sorry about that too. But we didn't have such a great year, did we? But our Giants, huh? Our San Francisco Giants. Any baseball fans here? Yeah. All right. All right. Cool. That's good. Uh, hey, look, I I know a few of you. Uh, several of you actually, and I met Jennifer back here for the very first time. She's going to have a little girl. Did you know that? She has three boys. Uh, you need to pray for her with three boys. Yeah. So anyway, uh, last time, I don't forget when last time I was here, a couple years ago, three years ago, uh, some things have happened since then. I turned 70. I know I don't, don't look a day over 90, but anyway, I'm, you know, yeah. And uh, my wife and I celebrated 50 years of marriage. Yeah. We were actually in Maui, all right, in Maui. And uh, we were going to this place, this fish place. It was closed because they were renovating it. So we go to Flatbread Pizza. And who do we run into but Chuck and Sharon and the three boys? I couldn't believe it, but we had uh, a great time chatting catching up to date and so forth like that. Hey, for the last uh, several weeks, or I think three or four, Dave, last month, you've been talking about uh, children, about orphans, about adopting, about fostering, and so on. And um, in 13 and a half years ago, my wife and I started with some friends, an organization called Hands of Hope, of which I'm the president of. And um, I just want to share a few things with you this morning just as we, we begin. So uh, how many of you know where um, the country of, nope, I'm sorry, i got to go back one, country of Kyrgyzstan is? you got all those stands over there, you know? Uh, <clears throat> most of our work that we've done, and many of you have been around NBC, you know it's in Zimbabwe, but we do have a home in the country of Kyrgyzstan. It's the only home that's not an institution. It's through a local church there. It, it's the only one that we know of. And, and we opened this home up about four years ago, and uh, we got this little video that they sent us at Christmas time. Now, the children will say, you are loved on it. You might not understand it all exactly, but uh, English is not their first uh, language. So just, um, just listen a second. You know, most of, a lot of kids in the world have an opportunity to be loved by their mom and dad, but, but these children have not. 
And uh, we've been actually able to take 15 children who have come into the home and either fostered them or had them adopted. And uh, so we're, we're thrilled about uh, that. Um, we try to love orphans just one at a time. Uh, we have several orphans in Zimbabwe, several hundred actually, if you know where Zimbabwe is, just above uh, South Africa. And what we try to do is provide a hope, a family, and a future. There's 1.6 million in Zimbabwe alone, 15 million in southern Africa. We have 18 residential homes all through local churches. would be just like NBC if you had a home for, for children. And six preschools, about 200 orphans, three to five, and we feed 1,800 children, mostly in rural areas, somewhere in Zimbabwe every single day. And so this is what we do. We teach them about our Savior, help them go to school, provide clothes, give them daily food. We just try to love them in, in Jesus' name. Uh, this was actually taken about four weeks ago. Some of the children in one project were uh, praying this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And one of our Hands of Hope men arrived with the food that we allot them for every three months. And so it was a direct answer to prayer. And so some of these children, these 1,800 that we feed, that's the only meal that they usually get each day. Dire situation in certain places in Zimbabwe. Where's Tegan? Tegan, come on up here. You have a dollar, don't you? Yeah, hey, look, I want you to stick your hand through here. No, can you stick it all the way through? Stick it all the way through. Okay, that's good, that's good, that's good. And now can you zip this up? And now just stick that in there. Thank you so much, thank you so much. That, I appreciate that. See, now, what we do at Valley Church is every single Sunday, people drop their cans and their bottles and so forth off. Over the last several years, we've been able to raise over $30,000. It takes just five or ten of those to make. And so what happens, uh, Tegan, when you do something like that, you need to just put a dollar in. I'm telling you, it just multiplies itself. It's, it's just quite amazing what that does. But, but anyway, yeah. Is this your pen, Dave? Oh, okay, you better keep that thing right there. Hey, look, anything that you do for children, God just uses it in very, very special ways. Two years ago, we purchased 134 acres of land, and we do camps on it. And so, so we take some of these children from these feeding projects. This last year, we took 600 of them. Most of these kids have never had happy birthday sung to them. They've never tasted a piece of cake. Or ice cream. So on the last day, we have we throw a big birthday party. We have 50 kids each week. We sing happy birthday to them. They have cake and ice cream. And we have them there for an entire week. This was uh, one of the camps from a church in North Carolina. Valley Church just did two weeks back in April. These are our pastors now that we have the privilege of working with over the last 13 years. It's grown from one pastor on up to over 40 pastors that we work with. And uh, we had a farm that was given to us about uh, seven years ago or something like that. And we took three people from NBC and four from Valley Church and another church up in, in Oregon. And we built, if you can see in a home home back there, an earth home. And uh, it's, there are 2,000 wheelbarrows of earth in every one of those. We built it a home and a half in nine days. We taught four Zimbabweans how to build, and they finished the rest in about a month and a half. They didn't have quite as many many workers. Um, this is a home we opened up 12 years ago, Westgate Church. Our friend over here, Steve Clifford, they bought this home for us. These girls, six of them, came to us from a farming area. All of their belongings in one plastic bag is what they gave us. 
And um, I was able to attend one of those girls who just got married last year, her wedding. And these two girls that came in a plastic bag just were accepted into a university. The university of Zimbabwe. So from not going to school, not being fed, not being cared for, to going to the university. And uh, I'm going to show you a three-minute video of this girl named Pamela. This is her story. It's a video put together by a church in Portland, Oregon. A friend of mine and his One son started 11 years ago. Is to introduce you to kids from around the world that we have the privilege of supporting. In Zimbabwe, Africa, we work with an organization called Hands of Hope, where we have four homes with kids ranging from newborns all the way to high school students. That's what she's going to do. In fact, that's what she did. In April, we took 12 of those girls that have been part of our home for several years, and we used them for one of the camps that we did from children in our feeding projects. And so they were counselors for us. She said, uh, that's what I'm going to do. I want to give back. And that's exactly what she did. Hey, I want you to open your Bibles up, if you would, to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want you to imagine just for a moment um, that you're sitting on a beach in Maui. You're sitting under some shade, and it's nice. The waves are coming in. You're just relaxing. You're on vacation. And uh, all of a sudden, someone comes up to you who you have never met before in your entire life. They have in their hand a wad of, of bills uh, worth exactly $1 million dollars. And they take a jigsaw puzzle, a thousand-piecer, they throw it in your lap, and all the pieces scatter all over, and they say to you, if you can put this back together again, in the sand, in an hour, I will give you this one million dollars. Now, I don't know what you would say to someone that come along like that. Uh, maybe you'd say, uh, are you kidding me? Or maybe you would say, how about a hike in the ocean? <laughs> or maybe you would say something like this. Hello, and what is the point here? Have you ever felt like God has just kind of taken like a, a jigsaw puzzle and thrown it in your lap, and you're there in the sand, and he says, put it all back together again? Things that have happened in your life that you look back on in your past, maybe something you're facing in the future, and you can't figure it all out, and you don't know what God is up to in your life, and you may look up and you say, Hello, God, and what is the point here? You never know what God is up to in your life, personally. But I do want to share a couple of thoughts with you this morning regarding God and what He's up to in all of our lives corporately, because he does have a game plan. The Seahawks and the Patriots, I can guarantee you, have a game plan. For the Seahawks, it's going to be to, de to put some air in the footballs of the, <laughs> of the New England Patriots. But, but God is, is not into deflating things in your life. And um, I want to share just two verses of Scripture as we begin. As you think about 
okay, God, what, what is the point here? And here's, here's one of them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul talks about one of the most critical things in the Christian life. It's what separates Christianity from all the isms in the world, and that is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And so Paul writes in there, and he, he talks about the fact that Christ is reigning now, and he must continue to reign. And one day, what he's going to do is he's going to continue to reign until he hands over the kingdom to his Father. And that kingdom is people from every tribe and tongue and nation that you were singing about earlier. And in at the end of that chapter, towards the end, it says this, When Christ has finally won the battle against all his enemies then he, the Son of God, will put himself also under his Father's orders so that God has given him the victory over everything else and he will be utterly supreme. If you have the NASV uh, translation or maybe the NIV, it will say, so that Jesus is all in all. That's what God is up to in this life, so that Christ might be supreme so that he might have the preeminence in everything, and then he will reign forever and ever and ever. That's quite a long time. In the meantime, he has a point in your life and my life. It's called conforming us into the image of this one who is all in all. And I would like for us to actually say these two verses together out loud. Could you do that with me? After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, Look at that for just a moment. All of us, I think, would like to have those four verbs said about us. We, we really do, I think, want God to perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish us. Huh? Don't you want God to work in your life and you know, change you from the inside out and make something of your life? But, but notice the process. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, He's calling us to eternal glory in Christ. This one. Actually, if you read this in the Greek language, it puts the God of all grace at the beginning of the sentence. It reads like this. The God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, that's good news after you've suffered for a little while, then he will do these four things that's talked about here. This is not an option in the Christian life. This is what God is up to in your life and my life. Now, almost all of you probably here have, have cell phones. And when you pick up that cell phone, you, you answer it, and you probably say something like, Hello? All right? 
And um, God has a way of speaking into our lives. And I want you to think about that this morning, that every time you have a trial, a temptation, a struggle, a problem, uh, whatever it might be, it is literally, it's a, a wake-up call. If you could just remember that every time your, your, your phone rings, okay, or any time that suffering, that pain, that problem, that struggle, it, it, it's really a wake-up call. If we could look at it that way in our life. And the things that God puts us through, these trials and problems, if you study Scripture at all, they're unavoidable, they're unpredictable, and they're manifold. I could say a bunch more about them, but these three things for certain. And our Lord Jesus took a lot of pressure out of life for us in John 16.33 when He said this, In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have problems. You will have struggles. There will be suffering. But be of good cheer or take courage. I have overcome the world. You're going to have them. I'm going to have them. I could go back through my 71 years of life and share with you all kinds of problems and struggles and temptations and failures and a few victories even along the way. They are unpredictable. You don't know when they're going to happen. But we shouldn't be surprised. And that's what Peter says. Do not be surprised at these fire ordeals that come upon you for your testing. As though some strange thing were happening to you. They happen to you. They happen to me. They happen to everyone. Okay? And for those of us who are believers, who have faith in the Savior, these things even actually make sense. As we just looked at, God has a a game plan. He has a point to it. And they, they're manifold. They come in all shapes. They come in all sizes. You don't know God's timing when they come. But our response is critical. Our attitude is important. That's why James says we're considered all joy when we encounter various trials. Knowing the testing of your faith, and God will test you, produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing that you may be mature. The, the word there is teleos. It means complete. Okay, God has a plan. So he uses these things to, to wake us up in our life. And so when these, these come, you've got God on the line and he's trying to make a point and he's trying to communicate to you, don't hang up on him. You ever hung up on anybody? Come on, you get all these calls all the time. Most of the time, you don't even pick it up. You just look and see who is it from and so forth like that. And you just leave it there. It goes in a recording or whatever it might be. But when God brings a trial, a, tr- a trouble, a struggle, uh, a temptation that, that, that reoccurs, don't hang up. And if you make a study of Scripture, and I don't have all the time to go over these today, these are all inherent in the Christian life. From the very get-go, 
I started reading this morning, in my quiet time, the book of Deuteronomy. I have, for the last almost 40 years, read through the Bible at least once a year. And so today I started the book of Deuteronomy. Tomorrow, I read the first four chapters. Tomorrow I'll be in chapter 8. That'll be at least part of it. And in chapter 8, Moses gives some instructions to the children of Israel before they cross over into the promised land. And what he does is he recalls what God has already done. A key word in the book of Deuteronomy is remember, remember, remember. So he says, remember all the way the Lord your God has led you. He says, he let you be hungry. He let you be thirsty. So that he might test you to humble you to see exactly what was in your heart, whether you would obey or not obey, whether you would love me, that is Yahweh, or not love me. And to make you realize, he says, that man does not live by bread alone, but he's testing you and humbling you so that you might know that man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of your pain, whatever you go through, God has a word for you. He's strengthening you. He's he's testing you. He wants you to trust in in him with with all of your heart. And I ask you to turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. One of the things that God does through these trials that we go through is he prepares us to minister to other people. And the last one that you see on this particular sheet is to break us. Now, follow along with me as I read, just starting in verse 3 of chapter 2. This is the second letter that he's writing to Corinthians. And he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. I think probably of all the names of God, and there are many in the Bible, this is one of the most beautiful. Notice he's the God of all comfort. There's no limitations there. There's no distinctions about race, about color, about education, about age, about ethnicity. Not at all. He's the God of all comfort. And what does He do, this God of all comfort? Or your version may say the God of all compassion. He comforts us in all our affliction. This word affliction, by the way, is used 49 times in the New Testament. Well, why does he, why do we go through these things? So that we will be able, that's the purpose clause, to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We go through something, God comforts us, He encourages us through others, through Scripture, through whatever Uh, He may be up to in it all. And then He uses us 
in ways to bring comfort and encouragement and strength and so forth to others. Now notice verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. If you study the the missionary journeys of Paul, you have some idea of what he went through. He was five times he received from the Jews 39 lashes. Twice he was stoned. And on and on his struggles. And he did it for Jesus' sake and for the people's sake, for the church, because he loved the church. Just like Dave and Ben and your elders and here, they love you. That's why sometimes they have to speak some very difficult things from the scriptures to you because they do care for you like you do your children so that they might grow up and mature and not be babies their entire life. Now notice verse 6. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Paul was not thinking of himself. He was thinking of Christ and his kingdom and these people. For if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. And now look at verse 8. Paul sharing his experience. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came upon us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively. For the last 25 years, I usually go backpacking with my son and, and uh, Bryce Jessup and his son and a few other guys. We've been doing this for years and years and years. We put a 50-pound pack and we start at Tuolumne Meadows and we hike up over Vogelsang about 12 miles in, you know, over 11,500-foot peak. And let me tell you, your heart is beating. But that's just a 50-pound pack. What if it was a 400-pound pack? I wouldn't be able to move. That's what this word means here. They were burdened excessively so that it was beyond our strength. So that we despaired even of life. Paul thought he was going to die and on this missionary journey... Uh, He actually was stoned in Lystra and left for dead, or he was dead and God raised him up. We don't know. Now, verse 9. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us, he on whom we have sent our hope, and he will yet deliver us. See, one of the things that God wants to do in your life is to break you. A horse, a stallion that's never broken is useless. You cannot ride it. And God has a way in your life and my life of breaking us down, of bringing us to the end of ourselves so that we would cry out, Oh God. And we die hard. We like to be in control. Some of us are control freaks. We love control. We don't like it when things are out of control. 
But what God wants to do is that you would learn to trust Him wholly, Him alone. I came to Christ at age 30. I was an alcoholic, exerciseaholic, a swearaholic, a lustaholic, a couple other holics. Okay? Some of you can identify and so forth with that. One of the things I've always prided myself on, and pride is a killer, is my health. I could usually outrun, outplay people my own age. I played against the national team in Zimbabwe. I took our team there in, in when I was 55 years of age. I could still play, not at the level I used to, but I could still do it. So what does God do? He gives me a new hip. What does he do with my hair? He gives me a pacemaker. My heart rate had dropped down to 28 nine weeks ago. Thirteen hours later, after I go into emergency, I walk out with a pacemaker here. Okay? It's not my own heart anymore. It's this lead that comes down in this little computer right here that does it. You know, God has just a way of making you real dependent and keeping you humble in your life. He, he can use whatever to break us down. That he can be all in all in your life so that he can be precious. So that we could be like Paul later on. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift of Jesus. His unspeakable gift. That Jesus would be precious to you and to me. Have you ever been, they said, you call and you, you want to talk to a doctor, a nurse, or something with your banking, or whatever else it might be, and they say these words to you, just stay on the line. Don't you love that? Just stay on the line, and there you are, staying on the line, and it's five minutes, and it's ten minutes, our daughter was on the phone the other day for 20 minutes before she got an answer. It's on some health care thing. Our health care system is really good, but, you know, um, she was sitting there just, just listening. When God brings something into your life, a trial, a tribulation, a problem, whatever, don't hang up. Stay on the line. And... This is the main point of what I'm sharing with you today. The end of ourselves is the end which God has in mind for you and me. So that Dave Carlson would not just trust in Dave, that Glenn would no longer trust in Glenn, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us and will continue to deliver us, he and whom we have set our hope. See, there are a lot of things you can hope on in this world that just kind of keep you going from one day to the next. And God wants to bring us to the end of ourselves and break us so that He is our all in all and so that we really trust Him. Now, the Scriptures are full of it. You will not find this in a Quran. You won't find it in the writings of Joseph Smith. You won't find it in Buddhism or Hinduism or anything else, but this book contains real-life stories of men and women of faith who God had to humble and break and test and discipline 
and prepare for service. I hope you're in this book. I just finished not too long ago, this last month, reading the, the life of Abraham. And you read the life of Abraham and you say, wow, what a man of faith. It doesn't tell you about all his failings. He lied on at least two occasions that we know of. He took Hagar. You know, Sarah's handmaid went into her and had Ishmael. I think there's been a few problems since then. He had failing after failing after failing. Plus, he didn't have the Word of God even. We don't know how many times. But in Genesis chapter 22, we find out, you know, here he's offering up his son, and the Scriptures tell us as he gets ready to take the knife and put it in, he believed that Yahweh would raise his son from the dead if he actually killed him. Now, it's how many chapters later? Ten. But by this time, it's 35 or 40 years later. It takes time for God to work in your life so that you trust Him fully and for everything. It doesn't happen the first week you're a Christian. So you keep hanging on in the midst of it. You take Joseph. He gets a dream at 17 years of age. He becomes prime minister when he's 30. 13 years. He gets this dream and he ends up in a pit. Then he ends up in Potiphar's house and for a commitment to moral purity, ends up in prison. Huh? And the Bible says in Psalm 105 that while he was in prison, while he was in a pit, the word of the Lord tested him. If you're without testing, you're not in the faith. God's going to test you. You can read about Job. You can read about David. In fact, if you, in Psalm 119, it, it's the word afflicted is mentioned many times, but it, it, it says things like, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word, Yahweh. It was good that I was afflicted, Yahweh, so I may learn your ways. In faithfulness, you, Yahweh, have afflicted me in faithfulness, in loving kindness, in goodness. God afflicts. God wants to bring you to the end of yourself. That's exactly what he did with Peter. Remember Peter says, Hey, everybody may forsake you. <laughs> oh, but, but I won't. Not me. Peter, before the cock, you're going to deny me three times. And when that cock crowed, he wept bitterly. What's God trying to do to Peter? Peter, you're not as big, as tough, as strong as you think you are. In fact, I'm trying to make you weak. Because in the whole book of 2 Corinthians, what Paul is trying to share with the Corinthians is weakness. When I am weak, then I am strong. I die daily, Paul says, so that the life of Christ might be manifested to you. He's trying to bring you and trying to bring me to the end of ourselves. When our Savior is on the cross, 
He cries, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He trusted his father explicitly. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Not his will, but the father's will. He didn't come to do his own will. The Christian life is not about you and doing your own thing and doing your own will. You will never be satisfied. You will not be joyful. You will not have peace in your heart unless you give your life away. That's what you do when you have family. You have children. You give and you give and you give and sometimes you wonder, what's it all for? What's the point here, Lord? Are they ever going to turn out to be something for you? So you stay on the line. And you keep listening. Uh, turn with me if you would. Just a, I just have to turn a page in my Bible. But um, verse 14 of chapter 2. This is my passage 14 to 17 that I preached before we head to Zimbabwe. We leave two weeks from tomorrow. By the way, we're taking a team from Valley Church for 18 days in the month of April. And uh, we have a couple, three, four slots that could be open. We may take as many as 15. And so if there are some of you here that have any interest in that, I actually have some applications in my car. I just happened to bring those along with me today. But look at verse 14. Thanks be to God. Notice these next words. Who always, always is an important word, not once in a while, not once a year, who always leads us in his triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ, notice, to God. Every time you die to yourself, it is a fragrance to the Father. And to others, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, those that are lost. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. The one who always leads you and will keep you in the trials, in the temptations, in the struggles, is the Holy Spirit. He is the comforter. He comforts us in all of our afflictions from the inside out. But when you believe on the Lord Jesus, you receive the comforter, the helper, this one who comes alongside in whatever you go through in life. You are never, ever alone. And Paul writes these words here. And it talks about as they were ministering. This is Acts chapter 13. They were ministering to the Lord and fasting. 
You say, how do I get direction when he's on the line? You fast. You pray. You seek the Lord. Why they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said how he communicated it exactly, a word, a voice that came out of heaven or something united in their hearts. I don't know. It says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit said this, made it very, very clear. It was God's work. It was his will. And he called these two guys Barnabas and Saul. So when they fasted and laid their hands on them, they went away being sent out by the Holy Spirit. And they went down and you can trace their missionary experience. God wants to lead you and guide you in your life. On your outline there, there are, there are five things that it says about God. One could list a hundred and five or more. But, but remember this. Because God is sovereign and omnipotent and omniscient, He's, all of your questions in life are not going to be answered. Sorry. Our minds are too finite to understand everything. Because God is good, you can be sure that he has your best interest in mind. When you feel like he's, he, you can't make any sense out of life, you have to believe in God's goodness. Because God is wise, he will not waste anything in your experience. I have a book in my library called Don't Waste Your Sorrows. Don't waste your tears. God bottles those up. He teaches you through them. And because God is love, he will not leave you alone in your pain. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear. Yahweh is with me, David said. And because God is faithful, he will allow you to endure any temptation, any trial, any struggle, your relationship issues, he'll allow you to hang in there. And then on your sheet, it says this. Dear Lord, Lord is curious, the boss, the master. I don't know if you've ever prayed a prayer like this. Maybe you have trusted Jesus. You ask for forgiveness of sins and life eternal and all that. But I made this my prayer when I trusted Christ right on from the get-go. I offer up my body as the living sacrifice on the altar and give you my past, my present, my future, my ambitions, my vocation, my possessions. I can remember the day when I said to the Lord, Patty, Kelly, and Glenn, they're yours. Open hand with them and I don't want to clutch and cling on to them and strangle them. My sexuality, my gifts and abilities, I give up the right to be in control and surrender all for your glory. This is not a one-time prayer. This is a daily deal. But I would encourage you to take a little time, sometime this week. Maybe you go through some of these scriptures, some of the ones especially at God's work that, that I didn't explain. You can... You, you can Study a little yourself. But this is what he longs for from you and from me. The end of ourselves is the beginning 
of the Christian life in real experience. Father, we thank you this morning for our time. Thank you for each precious person here today, created in their mother's womb. There's no one like them, so unique, so special, so much potential, no matter what age and stage of life we are. And you created them for your glory, to know you, to honor you, to live for you. What's the point here? The point is that that you want to be all in all in our lives. You're bringing us to the end of ourselves. And you've brought me again and again and again in my failures, in my sins, my temptations, my problems that force me to cry out and say, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I'm yours. I still struggle. Help me to surrender to you and to your Holy Spirit daily. We give you praise for your faithfulness in our life. When we're faithless, you still remain faithful because you can't deny yourself. And we're so glad that we have a Father like you. Thank you. Amen.